everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tech Analyst Podcast. We are still here in Maui at the Qualcomm Snapdragon Tech Summit. Uh, and I got some time here with Don McGuire. What is your actual official title here? My official, t- my official title. It's uh, Vice President of Global Product Marketing here at Qualcomm. Okay. All right. Uh, so we got some time to spend with him, 10 minutes or so. We had some questions, kind of follow up on the Windows on Snapdragon announcements. I think uh, it took a, got a lot of attention. I think a lot of positive press and, and, and reaction there. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of came to me is we, we've, we've seen this once before, some people will say, with Windows RT. So the question now is, why now, I guess? Why do this again? Why did you decide that this is what Qualcomm wanted to do? Was there some silicon threshold you had to cross? Was there some you know, threshold of, of partnership with Microsoft you had to cross before it became a, a viable option? Um, that's a great question. I think that there's a few things. Uh, I think there's some inflection point you know, sort of things that happened. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff that's happened with Windows and the evolution of Windows. I think Microsoft has learned kind of from past trials and errors about how to deliver a full Windows experience in a, in a, in a, in a for lack of a better word, in a lighter form, mm-hmm. um, meaning um, something that can cut across devices, uh, device categories, um, instead of a different or less compelling version of Windows um, per, per device category. So, um, and I think that's their whole goal really with, with 10S, right, at the end of the day. I mean, we all understand why they're, why they're doing it. Um, and they want 10S to be more like iOS and, and they want it to be secure. They want to have an app ecosystem and, you know, we get it, right? Um, and they have some, you know, still some, some distance to go there. But, but I think what Microsoft has done to evolve Windows um, with, on the silicon side, I think what, what has happened with mobile compute, um, smartphones getting smarter, having more capabilities, being able to do more things, whether it's from a productivity perspective, from a content creation perspective, um, uh, the capabilities of the smartphone have obviously risen, um, and, but you still have the screen size limitation. Right and and the form factor size limitation, um, so you've got you know you've got where uh, mobile silicon and mobile mobile platforms have come. You've got what's happened with Windows, um, and then I think you you've you've also got um, a, a you know sort of an evolution in how mobile operators are thinking about uh, how they bring devices onto their network and how they're going to grow their revenues in the future beyond new connections of just individual smartphones. Uh, and because of LTE and the proliferation now to gigabit LTE, and then obviously as we look towards the next 18 months and the transition to 5G, the ability to um, offer data pricing and, um, and uh, more affordable data plans to consumers because their cost per bit goes down significantly, I think all of those things make it the right time. The, it's interesting. Um, well, how, do you, how did you view the launch here? Right? So we're kind of we're not quite on our last day of the event, right? But we're kind of a day f- past the the official unveil of Windows on Snapdragon. We saw the Asus machines, we saw the HP machines. How do you view kind of the reception that you saw to it, both from partners, media that's here, media that's not here that might be covering it? Sure. Uh, I, you know, I think that the day yesterday went really well. I I, I don't think we 
could have planned it better or 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 expected a a better outcome. But I also think a lot of the right follow-on questions are being asked now. Yeah. I mean, we we view this as a milestone, right? We we started at WinHack. That sort of would kick this all off. We got to a milestone at Computex where we were able to um, work with the ecosystem to bring the three of the four largest OEMs into the into the party, and then we made a statement and planted a flag at Computex. And now, fast forward, you know, five months, and we're here planning our next flag, which is: Hey, these devices are real. They're here. They work, um, and they're getting ready to to be sold to end users. Um, so, from that perspective, we are on track for what we had planned to do. I think the reception has been really, really positive in the fact that everybody thinks this is the right thing to do. Everyone thinks these types of devices are what people want. The battery life story has gone over, obviously, huge, um, and people are very excited about it. Um, uh, And then I think people are asking the right follow-on questions. You know, will there be a spec for the OS connected PC? I hope there will be. There should be. And, And I think it should mirror what the value proposition is that we're bringing to the table, of course, being selfishly speaking. <laughs> yeah. um, but I also think, you know, those, the next step that we have, and one of the reasons why we had Sprint come and, and join us was because we think there's multiple legs to this stool, right? There's the devices themselves, there's our silicon, there's Microsoft's OS, there's the channel mm-hmm. um, to, to be sold through, the distribution channel, but there's also the operator. And because we, we are pushing this connectivity sort of part piece of our value proposition, the operators are, play an important role. I re- made a reference to kind of the path to 5G earlier. You know, T-Mobile started the unlimited, you know, race and the war. Right, the latest unlimited battle. I know we've seen it before. Right. Um, and in it, like before, we've seen some, some dial it back. Um, but, but, you know, T-Mobile's still there, right? Mm-hmm. And they've built their ne- data-centric network. Uh, I think we'd all agree that it's a data-centric network and not a voice-centric network. Um, But they've built it with a huge pipe and huge capacity, and they're not afraid of these devices. I think that there's a misconception that the operators are still afraid of these devices. They're not afraid of these devices. We've been talking to operators all around the world. Um, uh, I think Asus talked a little bit when they talked about their device about some some operators that they're working with in China and, and as well as here in the U.S. They're not afraid of it. They're embracing it. And really the next phase of, of announcements or news per se right. that I think interested parties will be interested in hearing is how will these devices be attached to that? Yeah, like so – right, like is it is – it, am I adding it to a plan? Is it a new plan? You know, I heard Cristiano talk about is this a Kindle-style adoption where you're buying data as you go? Seems like an unlikely option because with the Kindle, there's a – you could download a book a day and be well under any kind of data cap you might think of. However, when you're using a full Windows PC, you've got things like Dropbox that work. You've got file downloads, movie watching, Netflix, all these things you can do on a full PC. There is a complication of data. And I think probably after people get past the impressive you know, battery life that they get, it's going to be like, ooh, how much is this going to cost me? Is this going to crush my data cap plan? So you know, is there going to be a point where we have to have the carrier's I don't want to say sign off on this idea, but really embrace completely for the mobile connectivity always on, always connected mindset to really to, 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 to take hold? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the operators want a couple things. One, they want these devices to be exclusively always connected. They do not want a non-connected version. Right. Um, and that's one of their biggest um, sort of... Uh, asks of the OEMs, are you going to make a version of it that, that is not always connected? And if so, we are less interested. 
correct, right? So they want a category of devices that are always connected, and you buy this SKU as connected, right? right? So that's one thing. Now, is that, to be clear, I don't think you guys are selling any Wi-Fi options. Of Your partners aren't going to sell any Wi-Fi-only options of this, right? Yeah, no. So we've checked the box on these first set of devices, and we plan to continue that as we grow the portfolio of these devices with, with all the partners. So that, I, think that, I think that we're in good shape there. Um, another thing um, is as how do they view this from a um, a add-on perspective, right? So I think what you've seen is you've seen unlimited, then post unlimited you've seen unlimited with a throttling at certain amount of gigs per month, twenty two, twenty four, yeah. you know, somewhere in that range. Especially with with the big guys, T-Mobile not so much, um, and Sprint not so much either. Um, and then you've seen uh, on top of that you've seen. Um, uh, a, a ten to twenty dollar add-on sort of phenomenon for whether it's a PC or a tablet mm-hmm. or something like that to add on to your plan. Um, some, you know, we've done a lot of research. Some people think that that's too much. Some people think it's yeah, it's it's not bad. Hey, ten bucks a month, I can add on to my plan. I don't have to worry about it. In some of the some of the sort of analysis that we've done, we see, we see. Um, these types of users who really do like the always-on, always-connected experience, probably using between five and ten gigs a month. Um, if it's you're an average user, like right, if you're drop, you know, if you're just like always connected, always twenty-four-seven, right. you're going to use a lot more, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but with the average smartphone user using like one to three gigs a month, um, uh, you know, we think five to ten, maybe more. And if you're if you're going to be throttled at twenty-four gigs. Now, unless you're like me and you have five kids on your, and you're, you know, on your plan and we reach that you know, monthly, um, uh, you, know, it, 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 you should be able to fit it within a reasonable either add-on fee because um, uh, we can do promotions, right? We can work with the operators to do trials of sure. free unlimited for you know, whatever. And, and that's all great, but consumers get excited about that, but then, okay, what happens after that? And it may get them to fire it up. But then they're always going to wonder what's the catch, you know, what's what happens after that. And I think if we have a reasonable add-on fee for an existing plan, so you don't have to think about a new plan and, and all that kind of stuff, that allows you to use it to its full extent without worrying about fifteen dollars a gig at over overage charges. Um, I think that that will be compelling. Another thing on top of that is how do I pay for the device? Right at the PC in the PC world, you buy the device outright at a retailer. Right. Um, in the mobile world, you buy your mobile device through installments, through subsidization, right. which is mostly going away, um, or you can buy it outright. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, if you pay full price for a smartphone, it's more expensive than a PC. <laughs> um, so, um, in some cases, uh-huh. um, so. Uh, so uh, we're interested in having the operators not only address the data piece of it, but also embrace more of the same type of payment plan for the, the hardware that they have with smartphones. Yeah. And I think you will see that in wave one yeah. um, with operators in certain parts of the world embracing that installment plan also piece of that, which again breaks another barrier. It breaks down another barrier to entry. I'm curious if, if – these consumers will feel like these devices have the same refresh cycle, right? So most of the time when you talk about somebody who is buying their smartphone on, a, on an installment plan, they're a 12-month, a 24-month upgrade. Probably for notebooks, they don't usually think in those mindsets. So is it something where you think it might still be broken up over 12 or 24 months and then they just own it after that? Do they extend that out? 
to like, hey, you're going to pay for this over three years, right? And then we get you in the same upgrade price. Obviously, I think as a carrier, that's what you want, right? You're keeping the people in on your network. You're keeping them on the latest hardware. They're the happiest they could be. It seems to make sense. Yeah, and I think as the innovation cycle um, of these types of devices <coughs> match the mobile innovation cycle and less the PC innovation cycle, which is slower, yep. um, I think you will see it fall in line with more of that type of behavior yep. where, hey, yeah, you're on a plan, you're on an installment plan as soon as you paid it off, come in for an upgrade. And, and hopefully that operator or you know, the operator through Best Buy or whoever has a new suite of devices based on our next generation platform that you can upgrade to just like on the phone side. Um, and I think eventually we'll get there because I, I do think OEMs will start looking at this at these devices, and probably first, more the mobile first OEMs, as, as similar. They're going to want to innovate, you know, the Samsungs of the world who innovate every year with, you know, Galaxy Note 7, Galaxy Note 8, Galaxy Note 9. They're probably going to want to innovate with some of these new mobile PC devices similar, on along a similar cadence. Yeah. So they're going to want people to buy the new one. So they're going to want to work with the ecosystem to make sure that happens. So they'll work with the carriers and operators along with us and Microsoft to say, hey, why don't, we, why don't I bundle this together? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I'm going to buy some shelf space. You know, all the marketing money I give you, I want some of it to go to these devices as well as these devices, driving that behavior right to, to have that, you know, that upgrade cadence to be more along the line of a smartphone versus um, I bought a laptop four years ago. Right? right? And it's okay. It's now out of warranty. So yeah, it broke, yeah. so I'm going to go get a new one, right? It's pretty, I mean, pretty common. Yeah, pretty common. And, you know, refresh cycles on notebooks are still seven years. I mean, that's, 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 a, long that's a long time. It's because people aren't using them anymore, right? Yeah. They're using them less and less, which makes which, – instead of refreshing and buying a new one, they're saying, oh, my phone can do that. I'll, I'll go get this. I'll go get a tablet. You know, they're, 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 they're leaving that product behind, right? And what we're saying is you don't have to do that anymore. You, you can, uh, the best of what you loved about that, the big, you know, the, the full keyboard, the bigger screen, you can have that and you can have it more in a dynamic environment like you have your smartphone, yeah. which I think is a cool thing. Now, you, we mentioned pricing and how they buy it. Were the prices that Asus and HP, and obviously this was a thing that you guys worked together for a long time, you know, we saw anywhere from 600 to $800 for these units, depending on your memory configuration, storage configuration. Is that in line with what you expected? And do you think we'll see lower priced or higher priced, more premium units kind of as we get into mid 2018 and we see the first refreshes of the, of the platform. I, I think from what the, from the research we, we we've done and what we um, ask consumers what they'd be willing to pay. I think the, yeah, the five ninety nine to eight, the seven ninety nine is right in the sweet spot. Okay. Um, I think it's a, it's a good price point. It's a solid price point because, um, Two things. The, all, the, the, what you get, the battery life, plus the always-on connectivity that you don't have to pay a premium for. Because remember, today, if you want a connectivity option, usually it's about $100 to $150 extra on top of the price of the PC without connectivity in order to get that. Um, and, and, the, and you don't get any advantages on battery life or instant-on or standby or any kind of stuff. Sometimes less, right? So, yeah, because in the way, it's, the way these are deployed from a discrete perspective uh, often burdens your battery life even more. So... I think the value proposition for what you get um, for that price, I think, is pretty compelling. But what, so you're, to answer the second part of your question, I think what we are going to have to do, and I, I mentioned this earlier in another, um, another uh, interview I was doing, is we are going to eventually see us, we're going to have to tier our premium tier. 
if that makes sense, mm-hmm. sense to you. Because um, we've talked the last couple of days about how Snapdragon 800, quote unquote, the 800 series, is now moving um, out of the smartphone, right, into HMDs, into PCs, into automotive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as we continue that expansion, we are going to have to figure out how to tier the premium tier. Um, because we would love to, once we get into wave two, wave three, to have a series of price points that range from more value to more premium um, based on our new gener- next generation of, pro- of processors and platforms that can deliver better, you know, different levels of experiences based on those price points and based on, on those devices. So I think you'll see a tiering of the tier, and, uh, and that will allow us to continue um, premium tier sort of base level devices. Maybe those price points come down right after a while as we introduce step up sort of experiences and 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 we maintain sort of a um, kind of a lower price band, a mid price band, and, and a little bit more of a higher price band. I think you know we've had several conversations with Microsoft and the OEMs about that. I think everybody would like to see a portfolio approach to this that eventually we get to, um, which which is which is again not shocking to us because we've been looking at this tiering of the premium tier. Um, for a, a, at least a year now as we've expanded 800 outside of the phone. Yeah. I mean, it, from, from an architectural standpoint, it makes sense to, if you have more thermal headroom, if you have the potential for a larger battery, how much, how much extra performance can you get for a moderate amount of power consumption difference that is more beneficial on a Windows platform than it is on an Android platform? But you have to do that in a way that you're not sacrificing the power efficiency and the battery life gains that you have been claiming and touting, right? You don't want to make some, you know, we'll talk about 845, you don't want to make some 855 plus that is now suddenly a 10 watt part and now your your advantage over the competition like Intel is reduced. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know, that, so it's going to be interesting how this evolves, right? Because uh, another part of our story yesterday was AMD. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, when you know when AMD came on stage, I, I was backstage, but I heard all the murmurs and the and, you know, the WTFs, so to speak. And what are they doing here, right? And um, so it was nice because we expected it. We you know we kept it a secret. Um, we we wanted the element of surprise, but the, but the methodology behind that is that you know we know where we're tar- you know where we're targeting our Windows 10 and Snapdragon devices is a sweet spot. It will it it, it might it will evolve maybe a little bit up and a little bit down, right, and stretch, but it's only going to stretch so far. And we understand that. And, and we're not looking, you know, we're not, we don't have visions of taking over 90% of the PC TAM. Right? That's not our goal, right? We are in the area of growth in mainstream PC TAM. That's where we're, we're targeting these devices, which is the two-in-one space. Mm-hmm. We believe we're developing a better value proposition for somebody who absolutely has to be mobile. Um, and that means two things, always connected, great battery life. Right, that defines mobile um, in our minds, and um, and at, a, at, a, at a, an affordable price in a really cool thin form factor. So that's it. We we, we can't you know we're not taking that to a desktop, right? We're not going to take that. Um, we're not going to take that to a you know high performance gaming PC. Sure. However, you know p- uh, partners like AMD have said, hey, we we make some pretty high end, you know. "Quote unquote mobile devices," right. um, I would I would call them portable um, devices, not truly mobile, um, uh, but like gaming laptops. Yeah. They make some. There's some pretty cool gaming laptops. Sure. Um, Alienware has a great gaming laptop that's pretty small, right? I mean, can, that 
for what it can do, right? And so why wouldn't we want to add connectivity to that? Why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't that gamer want gigabit speeds you know, outside of a Starbucks Wi-Fi or outside of their own basement or wherever the hell they're you know, gaming? Why wouldn't they want gigabit speed LTE so they could game anywhere, right? And, um, and not just limit it to, to a physical location. Um, and if that's appealing to them, then, hey, AMD, bring it on, right? Your, your higher performance um, platform that's really made for that audience in combination with our gigabit LTE Snapdragon connectivity enhances your value proposition, the value proposition of the o, to the OEM, mm-hmm. and the actual experience to the end user. So yeah, why not? Yeah. We're not going to 15 watts, right? I mean, so, uh, so you know, we believe the always connected PC category if it grows, everybody, you know, it's great for us right. because we would like everyone to embrace it fully because we believe our value proposition will win it on shelf in the category of devices that we're going into. Um, but everyone embracing it and making buzz and talking about it and convincing users, both enterprise and consumers all over the world, that I gotta have I gotta have an always connected PC. I don't care what kind it is; it's gotta be connected. That's great. Yeah. One one of the most interesting questions I've had since launch is. Uh, right. Obviously, there was the question of, hey, you, you launched these windows on Snapdragon devices. They're using 835, but also you're announcing Snapdragon 845. Um, I, I think most of us understand why the disconnect. There was this kind of ramp up period as 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 you guys were developing this technology. But the the, the real question is, is when do we see 845 based uh, platforms coming out, and at what point do you see them start to be in the same cadence? Um, Another great question. We would love to close that. We call it. The, we're calling it the transitional gap yeah. between innovation cycles. We'd like to close that as fast as we possibly can. Um, I think everybody wants to. Um, uh, so who, what we have to align is we have to align Microsoft's Windows update path, um, OEM sort of development and build cycles, um, the seasonal shopping and, and buying and selling of, of the PC space. And our silicon innovation, right. you know, cycle. Um, right now, we are faster than everybody else. <laughs> um, uh, Microsoft is starting to now do these RS updates, yeah, right? Pretty frequently. pretty frequently, so we can align those two. Mm-hmm. We think pretty well. Um, the mobile-first OEMs will—it'll be really easy for them to get on cadence with us because they're used to the cadence. They like the cadence, yeah. right? Um, for example, Asus, you know, they have a lot of experience with our platform, right. right? They launch smartphones. They know the cadence of the yearly kind of announcement of new devices. So it's, it'll be easier for them to actually to get, to get on that same kind of path. But we know that we have to bridge the gap because the PC innovation cycle is slower. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just is. The silicon innovation cycle. And I, I would argue that the PC needs the power of something like 845 maybe more than what android does right just just in raw horsepower mentality right so so being able to come out you know right and when we do the third installment of the tech summit that we would see if it's 855 or whatever it happens to be okay we're launching it on mobile and we're launching it on on notebook in the same mindset that might be too soon but i think that's obviously what we all want to see yeah what we'd like to see is a uh, a, clo- a tightening of the gap between the, the Current, you know, generation to generation of devices, and there might be, you know, we're going to have a little overlap. Probably, we're going to have a little like mm-hmm. transitional period, and that's really kind of what we're in between wave one and wave two. I think by wave three, I think we'll see 
90% alignment. Yeah. And because I know for, for a fact that, that other OEMs um, that are yet to, to announce that they're going to build these devices would want to announce their next flagship smartphone and their next right. or their new PC based on Snapdragon at the same time. Right. Um, and don't want to have a six-month you know, thing going on between the two. And I'd imagine there would be like messaging confusion about trying to pitch two products at the same time that are using two different platforms, but one, you know, claiming they're both flagship and all that yeah. would, would be complicated along with it. Yeah, it, it would be. It'll be a messaging challenge. You know, back kind of to the tiering um, that we'd have to do too. But, but I think we have to get there. I think we'll, we'll use wave one and wave two to, to get closer yeah. um, and to align. And then hopefully, you know, Hopefully, in wave two, it'll be slightly off, but not as much. And then wave three will be, will be aligned. The last thing I want to ask you about is uh, compatibility, right? We talked about at the beginning of this, this is not Windows RT. Uh, this is not a totally different thing. This is the Windows 10 that we, that we know. But there are 64-bit applications won't run on this platform uh, so we, you, but, but you're not limited to Windows Store apps. This is what people were afraid of when these announcements were first coming out. So, you know, x86, there's still some complications involved in that. You know, kernel mode drivers, things that, things that do some different type of stuff when they install, for example. Um, interestingly, we've talked about it a lot, complicating benchmarking of, of platforms, too. What, is, what can Qualcomm do either independently or with Microsoft to kind of bridge that gap of applications that will be able to exist on an Intel platform but not on a Qualcomm platform? Um, another great question. So what we've been doing with Microsoft and with the OEMs is we've been um, looking at, and really Microsoft has driven this because obviously they have the data, right? Um, so what are the top 64-bit apps, right? What are the top 100 uh, applications? What are the top 100 applications, right, right um, that a PC user uses? Um, and, and let's make sure that those, as many of those work, whether it's uh, native through the store, so hey, we're going to target that ISV. Hey, get your get your app recompiled mm-hmm. for for um, UWP, right? Um, or uh, can't or how do we make it a, a good experience through emulation, right? Um, how do, you know, so those are the two kind of goals. Um, and you know, I'll will t- take two extremes. Most ninety eighty percent of these apps are AAA games, mm-hmm. which. This is not a AAA gaming device, and sure. if anybody thinks it is, I'd like to sell them some Swampland because they're crazy. I mean, that, that's just not where we're playing, right? Um, however, you know, apps like Chrome, for example, right, which um, is, is, you know, number one browser, yeah. right, uh, on the PC. Um, we have to make sure that it works. Right. And whether it takes, uh, you know, a short period of time or a long period of time for Google and Microsoft to agree on how that would work in a, in a Windows Store environment, um, which I will not comment on, um, we have to make sure it works because we know, we know people will want to use yes. it, and especially this target audience, this mainstream target audience. So how do we make sure that it works through emulation? And then what is, what is the difference, really? And so things like that, we're, what we're seeing is, and again, this is where benchmarking and percentages can be played, right? And, and again, we all understand the game. Um, however, if you're talking about a one and a half second load time versus a two second load time, mm-hmm. now you can look at that two ways. From a user's perspective, will they even know, know a difference right. in a half a second? But from a benchmarking perspective, somebody could exploit that to say, we're 50% faster 
and loading Chrome, then you are. Yeah. Therefore, you suck. Um, and you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so that's the game that will be played. Um, but we, what we have to do is we have to, we have to make sure that people understand and, and as they, you know, because we know that these, these first set of devices are going to ship with 10s. And again, that's a negotiation between Microsoft and OEM. We don't really yeah. get involved with that. Yeah. We want to make sure the platform works whatever version of Windows you run. Um, but the free upgrade is going to last through the end of 2018 pretty much. So free, free upgrade to Pro is for everybody. So any, anybody can do that. Um, so if they do do that, you know, is the Chrome experience a solid experience where people aren't going to be frustrated, they're going to be able to use it. And what we have found with some of these emulation apps like Chrome is the first time you download it, it might take a little bit longer, but once it's there, it's working pretty normally. Okay. And again, if it's a millisecond or a half a second or whatever, slower or whatever, are you really going to notice that, right? And so uh, that's why we've pivoted the conversation on, on reviewing and benchmarking, benchmarking, quote-unquote, these devices is really about experiences, right? And, and look, synthetic benchmarks have been around for a long time. Uh, there are certain parts of the world that rise and fall on those, um, and, but we just don't believe in them um, because you can throttle your CPU up and down and you can achieve yeah. huge, you know, great speed for three seconds and then your PC burns up, right? I mean, you know, it gets really, really hot. I mean, I, I, we get it, but, um, but we want to make sure that these, the apps that have, that have to be emulated, um, uh, uh, that we, we think people are going to want to use, the 90%, not the 10%, sure. but the 90%, that they work. And that they can use them without any problem or else they're going to get frustrated and they're not going to want to use the device. Um, at the same time, Microsoft is encouraging as many ISVs, as many app developers to create a Windows Store version, right, a recompiled version of their application for, for the platform. Um, and I think you'll see them continue to make more and more announcements of some very popular applications that our target audience would want to use on these devices that currently or had in the past have not been a native um, application, and and we've you know we're putting pressure on them to continue that. Um, the OEMs are putting pressure on them to continue that. Right. They are working very hard. They've got a targeted list. We we meet with them you know monthly now, and we go through the targeted list, and they tell us their progress on it. Red, yellow, green, you know that's all happening. So um, so so we're working it collectively, and by some of us by encouraging, some of us by actually taking action. Um, and, but we believe when we, you know, we're, are we going to be perfect in wave one? No. But we think by, by the time we get to wave two, I don't think anyone's going to be asking or, or, or caring about those questions anymore. I think, I think we'll be in good shape. Good. I, I personally am, am pretty excited about this. I'd love to see the transitions. I'd love to see this kind of combativeness, not combativeness, but this upheaval of happening, right? Like, Intel's not happy about it. You know, you've got AMD coming in at different angles, Qualcomm coming in at different angles. But from a consumer standpoint, there's more options, there's more capabilities, flexibilities out there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to test these devices and uh, really dive into them. Intel should be ecstatic. There hasn't been many, many people talking about the PC as much as they're talking about it now since 2011. Yeah. So, I mean... It's the category, right? We're, yeah. People are talking about the category again, right? The category that a couple of years ago everyone said was dead, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's got re- new life. I mean, they should, actually be, they should actually be happy about it, yeah. to be honest with you. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for your time. You. And uh, good, luck. good luck the rest of the week. Thanks. Anytime.